Well, hey, everybody. So glad you've joined us today. And uh, we're going to have a fabulous conversation. This is the Exponential Webinar Series. And uh, my name is Mindy Caliguire. And I'll be hosting a phenomenal, really fascinating conversation uh, today. And so we're so glad you've joined. If you want to share it out on Facebook or whatever, uh, we would love to have as many of our uh, church leaders, uh, the exponential community, be part of this as possible. And it's going to be interactive. If you're able and interested in submitting questions along the way, we hope you will. Uh, and that's, it's just going to be, I predict that this conversation is going to go really quickly. And there's going to be a lot of really interesting and valuable things for you as church leaders, because you're going to hear from a vantage point that we often don't consider or don't have access to. These sort of circles don't often collide between the church leadership world and the realm of medicine and health. And uh, and so we have two amazing women who are joining us today that I get to introduce you to. And beyond the fact that they're both amazing in their own right, they're also deep friends. So you're going to get to hear a conversation that uh, emerges out of, uh, out of this new book that's coming out that has emerged out of their lines of expertise and also out of their deep friendship. So uh, Jenny, uh, well, Dr. Jenny McLaurin, and she is uh, a pediatrician, but she's been dealing with public health in a lot of very marginalized communities around, uh, around the US and I think beyond, is that right, Jenny? Uh, that is correct, yes. Yeah, so give us a, like just a little, a little snippet of some of the work that you've been doing around the world and here in the US. Well, I had the privilege of going to India as a medical student, which started my public health career, really, and worked with um, populations there. And then I wanted to do something like that in the U.S., so I worked with migrant farmworker populations in eastern North Carolina and then nationally. And then I worked um, a little bit in um, the Dominican Republic and also with indigenous Hawaiians and the island of Molokai, um, which is not very well known to most US people, and also with homeless populations. And um, now I work with at-risk youth, adolescents, and with special needs zero to three-year-olds. Wow, wow, so many different things, a massive amount of contribution to this field, which is fabulous. And then our other co-author and contributor today on our webcast is Dr. Bem, Kulia, Kulia, yeah, yeah, Kulia. I got it right. I tried to write it down exactly as it is. So, Dr. Ben Kulia, tell us a little bit about your work. You're just at a high level. I know you're a geneticist, you're a teacher, and you're a biotech startup queen. Which is like, both of you have got careers that are so outstanding. I don't like, did you like not sleep? What's the secret sauce here? <laughs> I've been told that many times, Jenny, are you sleeping? <laughs> so I'm, I'm a molecular geneticist and I spent, I was born and raised in the Philippines, but trained for my PhD in Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee. And this book actually um, came from work that I initially did at Oak Ridge National Lab. So during the Human Genome Project, my job was really, and our group was really to look at these new genes coming out and look at what they are doing, interpreting, basically assigning them function. Out of that work was actually, I, my lab figured out this particular a signaling protein that is important to make tissues. And so I entered the field of tissue repair and regeneration because using this protein, we could trigger back good healing environments and therefore use it to heal very difficult to heal wounds. And oh. that is basically, um, I was ready to leave the lab because these discoveries became patents and I needed to pretty much launch into the world, enter the biotech community and entrepreneurship in order to make products out of my discoveries. And this is the time where I actually met uh, Jenny. Oh, when fabulous. I was, when I was just starting my company. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm so impressed. I can't wait to learn more about that. But since you brought it up, let's take a minute and talk about this book that is just coming out right now. <laughs> and uh, it is called Designed to Heal. And you guys have, have, have really understood the deep science of what's going on in the physical body. And you're saying, 
wow, there are important extensions into how we should think about maybe imagining how healing is taking place in the body of Christ or how it could or should be taking place in the body of Christ. And so church leaders, I hope you're really paying attention because where we're going is a significant, uh, significant uh, territory that I, for myself, haven't heard a ton about. Um, mm-hmm. So women, thank you for the contribution you are making and have made. The book is coming out right now, right from Tyndale. Right. When is the release date? I heard it was tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. It's tomorrow. I'm ordering it as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> I mean, literally one of the first books that I, I, on my own personal journey, I'll be sharing some of that as we talk, but one of the first books um, you probably have heard of it called the, um, the, the Physical Nature of the Spiritual Life. Are you familiar with that book? Oh, sounds good. Yeah, I, I this intersection is vital, I think, and so often ignored, much to our own peril. And so, anyway, when you think about this, like at the highest level, designed to heal, I notice it has um, in the in the pre work that it has to do with relationships. Can you help me just understand, like, what is the relational healing connection between? what you see in the physical body and then how you see the body of Christ. Either one of you, I know I'm I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure who I should direct that. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to say one thing and then Bem, you can fill it out. How's that? I, because I'm going to back up a little bit, Mindy, and I was captivated just by your word, imagination and image, because that, was actually what was so joyful as Bem and I just thought about this privately among ourselves is using our imagination to behold something in the image of God. And when we think about ourselves being made in the image of God, one of the, one of the powerful words behind that is, right image and one of the powerful words behind image is imagination so Mm -hmm. as people made in the image of god we are given imaginations and we are given imaginations to behold him more fully in all that the world shows us and so for us being able to connect the healing in the body with healing in the body of christ a metaphor for, um, but uh, but a real truth as well, not just right, a metaphor. Right, right, right. Oh, good. For who we are made, made sense to connect those things together in a way that um, tied the word, just words and ideas and, and gave them a reality. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the impetus for the book. Mm-hmm. And who did you have in mind when you were writing? Like who, who is the person you were writing for? Mm. I'll take that. Um, so I guess everyone who has mm. been wounded, uh, who has been wounded, scarred and need healing, which is pretty much everyone who could read English at this level of the book. <laughs> but also I think for those people who said, I'm not wounded right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not injured. You know, I don't think this book is uh relevant from at this time in, you know, in life. I would also say that it was written for those who are wounded and needed healing, but that many in the audience today are involved in the good work of bringing healing to many woundedness in our society. You know, you're ministering to an area of brokenness and woundedness. It would also be good for, for, those, of, you know, for those of us who are in this, um, you know, in this area. It clearly has a strong Christian voice because Jenny and I are Christian women. Um, but despite that, it welcomes others' faith. So I, I tell Jenny, it's, in Filipino, there's this thing where you're speaking to someone, but you're allowing somebody to eavesdrop and then join the conversation when they think, oh, that's interesting. I like that. So it's called nagpaparinig. If there are Filipinos in this audience, it's, it's that art of speaking, but really being welcoming to others to just jump in if there is something that's relevant to them. 
And then finally, because I've been asked about this since I'm the scientist and they see the PhD and they're scared and they say, I have no college degree, you know, I have a high school degree. Can I understand the science and the medicine here? It's, I know it's wonderful, but even pastors say that, you know, I can read theological books, but uh, you know, can I understand this? And I would like to point out that Jenny is a pediatrician, her, all her, you know, in her professional work. She knows how to explain very complex medical issues to children and frightened mm -hmm. parents most of the time, probably. And I have been a teacher. You know, it's in my bio that I've actually taught for over 20 years. And, uh, and I've taught um, STEM education even to middle schoolers and high school kids, including up to post-PhD. So I, too, have learned over time to speak to an audience that, you know, where I can explain scientific and medical things that they can comprehend, even if they don't have technical degrees. Well, thank you for that work, because the, the I think it's pretty well known that the highest levels of intelligence can make their um, points as accessible as possible to whomever they're speaking to. And that's a labor of love. Sometimes it's an easier thing to default to jargon and, and things like that, that, you know, you can, you can communicate at that very high level, but thank you for bringing it down to the level that I will be able to understand. And I'm sure everyone who's, who's listening, the, um, the, I'm curious about the discoveries that you made perhaps in the scientific realm, if we could just geek out there for a minute, what did you find in the healing of wounds that was so groundbreaking before we make the connection to how does that maybe apply to the broader truth and metaphor of the body of Christ? What, what were some of the findings? That's definitely a BEM answer. <laughs> I, I was thinking so. Yes. So as I mentioned, I was trying to look at what these new genes from the human genome were doing. So the biggest discovery we have is actually that, you know, when you're going, th we know that we all get wounded and injured. And in most cases, we form uh, after the bleeding, inflammation, uh, we form a scar. So, but there is a point in life actually where healing is perfect. And this happens during mid-gestation when we're in our mother's wombs. Very narrow window. Really? But that if you take, you know, a, a baby growing in this stage of life and you actually do surgery, there is no scar at all. So we knew as scientists that this was this window physically, biologically, where the, the response to injury is perfect. And so that's where stem cells come from and all these things. And it just turns out that my discovery was actually on a pathway driven by a gene that um, promotes the making of what's called an extracellular matrix. So this used to be people thought this is the stuff. It's a very complex mixture of molecules. They hold cells together. In a certain, you know, in a certain orientation, 3D architecture. But increasingly, we have known that this particular extracellular matrix outside the cells holding them together, it's also what governs their ability to communicate. And huh. it forms an environment so that the cells can grow, mature, they can do stuff together, whatever organ they are in. So it's the extracellular matrix, which we call a healing matrix, because it turns out that there is a composition of this matrix that is healing and not pro-scarring. And that's really where now scientists are trying to look at what's in there so we could make products uh, in order to promote, you know, not scarring, but healing. And that for us, for me and Jenny is the most powerful uh, picture because that's a picture for community. Is your environment and your community fostering healing when there is injury or woundedness? Or is it an environment where there is scarring and there is chronic pain, chronic anguish, nothing heals? Uh, and so that's really the, the biggest discovery, I would say, is the healing matrix. The that's environment oh and community is key to proper healing. So the so restating in, in layman's terms, there's a wound, physical wound in in, in utero, if, it, if the baby's still in development, the healing matrix that surrounds that wound is so complete or perfect or whatever that it allows no scarring whatsoever and a perfect healing takes place. 
Yeah. It is a particular composition that promotes mm. healing perfectly. So I'll give you an example. It. And there's an example in the book. Um, so now we're able to do like spina bifida surgeries where children have open spine defects in their back and they, those surgeries can happen during development. So if you do it at a certain time in development uh, successfully with the surgeon um, doing it while the baby's still inside mom, when that baby is born, there's no scar. I've never heard of this. This is fascinating. It's pretty amazing. So it's amazing. amazing. I have to say my dad was a um, PhD in developmental biology. So that was his whole background. He went into eosinophilia. I'm not saying that right, but yeah, you are. Yeah. And okay. So it's just been a long time since I've said it and uh, you know, did his postdoc work at MD Anderson, did cancer research his whole life, Mm -hmm. but the developmental and was it Roswell park and other places at at Mayo, but um Point being, I've always been fascinated by that window of developmental biology in in utero because there's some things that my limited understanding knew that were so unique to that, but I've never heard of this. And what a brilliant idea! So you're saying then that's what happens in as a baby's being developed, and and the case in point of spina bifida surgery being without scars is just amazing to me. But then once we're born there's some sort of transition in the ability of this matrix to support healing in an optimal or ideal way. And is that, is that true? Then that sort of, yeah, as we age, it gets less and less. Yes. Exactly. As we get more wounded in our life, we have a harder time healing well. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man, you're preaching. People. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Everybody listening, that. does that not, you know, you think about hard relationships that maybe had some wounds early on, but if they really don't heal and re-injury, I'm thinking of abusive situations, like really, really toxic right. leadership environments where the wound just is reopened and reopened and reopened. I can only imagine how in an emotional or spiritual way, relational way, it's a very similar reality to what's going on with the healing matrix physically. So that's the connection here, right? Yeah. I'd like to add to Mindy because uh, the um, wound healing goes through stages, uh, clotting, inflammation, new tissue formation and maturation, and then scarring is that these are interdependent, exquisitely orchestrated, you know, uh, overlapping stages. And some of the, it's not just repeated wounding that actually aggravates things and makes things worse. It's just that sometimes when there's an injury and the, you know, there is an attempt to heal physically, a physical wound, it can get stuck in a particular stage. It cannot proceed. So it never heals. And so it's just either stuck in inflammation or there's problems clotting or it's trying to make new tissue, but that new tissue is not maturing into what it should be, whether it's muscles or nerves or skin. It's just kind of making stuff. And we call there's a chapter actually in a phenomenon called proud flesh, which Jenny beautifully describes, which is, I think, relevant in church environments also, because she just wrote a blog dedicated to that, that when you're stuck in trying to make new tissue, but it doesn't form what it should be, it becomes more problematic than, you know, than, than it is. So it's not just repeated wounding, but being stuck in certain stages that you know, makes it even worse. It's infecting healthy tissue and it just won't heal. It's just there causing suffering and pain. Wow. So Jenny, make that connection to us the way you did with spina bifida. Like when that gets stuck at that stage and, and what did you call it? What does it happen when that malfunction? Proud flesh. I Proud can, flesh. I, Are you kidding me? Like that, is that not me or us or the body of Christ at times? So that actually, that was the moment when I was like, this has to be a book because uh-huh. them was giving a devotional to, uh, to a group and she used originally I had heard her talk about all the beautiful ways that were designed to heal. And so 
in the creation of our bodies, it was understood from the beginning that we would get wounded and we would need some sort of healing mechanism, right? So the first wound we get, we don't bleed to death because we clot. So wounds are expected in life, but our whole body is oriented towards healing when it's healthy. When it's not healthy, there each one of those phases can get stuck in a very, very predictable manner. Mm -hmm. And proud flesh is the one that just grabbed me by the throat. So what happens is the body has clotted successfully. It's had inflammation successfully where it cleans up the garbage in the wound and gets rid of it and make sure it's not infected. And the platforms made that extracellular matrix gets going, but then the beginning tissue is this little granulation tissue and it's pink and fleshy and full of little tiny capillaries. So if you scrape your knee, you've seen it, you've, it's pink, it's the pink gooey wet stuff. But that needs to give way to the stronger tissue. And to do that, it has to be transformed. That pink little tissue needs to be transformed into something more mature. Sometimes it just decides it's not going to do that. And it takes up the whole, it doesn't let its friends in to change it. And it doesn't get transformed. And it just grows into this pink, flabby, gooey mess that takes over the wound site and you have to burn it off or cut it off um, in order to heal because it gets in the way of the wound ever closing successfully. And that's called proud flesh. That's what doctors call it. It's what vets call it. It's called proud oh flesh. My goodness. So <laughs> if I were to try to extrapolate and not uh, truly, this is, this is, I'm, you know, moving on tender places. Cause all of us have those wounds oh, for sure. Right. Right. We have those wounds relate. We've caused those wounds. We've, we've had those wounds, those wounds manifest in the church between people. But if I were to try to make a parallel, there's a, say there's a, a wound uh, in a friendship, right? So there's, there's been um, a rejection of some kind or some sort of pain has been, has been caused that, was, was hurtful. And you could have clotted, you sort of stopped the maybe emotional spiral you might've been in. Okay. So that the, it's not letting out the rest of everything that needs to Correct. be in. Mm -hmm. And then inflammation came around and, and, and we, we were brought to some measure of, of, of healing from that rejection wound. And I, I am not, thinking quickly enough to imagine. Oh, you're what right. That, no, you're right. What's so that? Your, friend, like? your friends have gathered and said, you know what, Mindy, it's right that you're angry. You were hurt. So, but let's think about where this hurt is going and what, what's getting in the way of you being able to forgive and go forward. Yeah. So that's so that's almost like the, the people coming around the, is that almost like the healing matrix? Well, it's a little before that. Those are your okay. good soldiers coming in to get rid of the debris. The old oh, that was the inflammation. As you say, she, she does this to me all the time, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and they go, yeah, but that's not what this is about. This is about something different. So let's focus on what this is about. Okay. So they, they're the soldiers that come in and, and help help the situation get right-sized and back Correct. to what it should Perfect. be. Right-sized. And then, then the matrix starts to form that is going to help maybe me reconnect relationally to people where I'm not sort of shut down. I don't know. I'm, I'm so yeah. no new that. growth. It's all about There's, new growth. Right. Right. It's all about going forward. But then what's the proud flesh? Then I start like saying, yeah, I'm ready to go back out there again, but I've, I'm like malfunctioning in the community or something right. like I'm really ready for it, but I don't want, I don't want the maturation part. So I don't want more pain. I don't want any death. I don't want anything that's going to restrict me. So I'm willing to do this up to a point. So I'll get going <laughs> with growth, but I'm not going I'm not going to let you take over my growth because who are you to tell me what to do? My individual rights. That's what we're hearing in society all the time now. Right. Oh my goodness. So 
um, our proud flesh socially is keeping us from healing as a people because we all have such individual ideas of how we're supposed to heal that we're not letting the collective come together and say, you know what, I'm going to have my way with you as a collective. And in the body of Christ, we're meant to be joined together and moving together as a unit. We're not all meant to be, you know, what if the hand decided it was going to be um, driving the steering wheel and the foot said, you know, I'm just going to keep going, brake, accelerator, brake, accelerator, because it's fun to do. Like, mm-hmm. no, right? You have to move as a unit. And um, proud flesh keeps the wound from moving together where it should go. And it keeps us in our difficulties, whether it's in our society or in our homes or in our churches, from moving together forward in a way that involves compromise, collaboration, some death, (laughs) some um, uh, growth and transformation ultimately. Yeah, because I'm really captivated the idea that this flesh, this proud flesh is a an, an immature early stage version of flesh never intended to be what would sustain proper refunction right. of whatever thing is broken. And it needs to mature to that adult version of skin cells or whatever right. we're talking about here in order for it to truly function the way skin needs to function. If it just stays as this like lump lab of stuff that's yeah, yeah. mature, it seems like the first few stages, the the body essentially is saying, oh yeah, I've been in pain. Come tell me my comforting words, come help me, whatever. But when it comes time to like, no, now it's time to step up and actually become whole again. Uh, you, you can't stay in that immature state and the body stays okay. Correct. And that's a big that's, idea. That's, yeah. So I was going to say, Mindy, uh, and Jenny too, is that when you're making tissue, because I've you know, seen it, different tissues start from very premature cells and they're becoming something, nerve cell, muscle cell, whatever, mm. skin, like you said, and skin is complex. There are many cell types there. Is that, and I, this is something I told the pastors in Jenny's grant, which is where I first started lecturing on wound healing as a really wonderful kind of um, seeing God's, you know, um, God in science, um, is that that part when you're making new tissue, there's a lot of opposing forces there. In order to make the tissue, those forces need to be balanced and they need to be there. If there's too much cell division, that's why you get this big lump because it just keeps dividing and dividing then it never becomes mature. But that conversion from a lump of homogeneous cells to become something mature, you know, heart cells that would beat or nerves that would function, it requires a lot of transformation. Mm. We're not very good in wanting to be transformed. We're sometimes we're very set in this is the way I've done it. This is the way I've thought about it. We're not willing to be changed, whether that is a re- whether that is in our religious life or our political thinking or our relationship. Or can- I'm just like this. Just accept me as I am. I'm not willing to be transformed. Um, and you need a lot of transformation to get a mass of undifferentiated tissue for it to become functional tissue a lot of things have to be a lot of yielding there's dying there is you know letting new things come in whether that's new idea or listening to somebody present something that's contrary to what you have and letting go of some things that you need to let go and only when you do that communally i think is when you heal complex corporate wounds well because Mm. that's what tissue does wow wow a complex corporate wounds and we'll get back to that that's like a big idea when when I'm thinking about um, <laughs> proud flesh and how when we talk about healing from emotional things, so many of us are aware that we're carrying wounds from childhood, from a, a long time ago. And really, when we're trying to understand what is the what needs to be done to try to bring me up to the functioning level that I should be capable of at this season in my life. That's just like an interesting connection to me that actually feels like it gives me hope. It's like for people who feel that they're 
stuck in a wound that just has never been able to heal, maybe the words that you're providing in design to heal are going to be things that give in the book, it will get us some new insights about what approaches we might take in our communities, in our churches to seek out healing that would, would perhaps propel us toward that transformation. But it gives us that imagination again, that this pain, this dying right now is actually constructive because that's what we lose hope for in the middle of it. Cause it's so painful. We think, Oh no, this must not be real. This must not be helping. This hurts too much. But in fact, certain kinds of pain associated with transformation could be in fact, exactly what, what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you- Mindy, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Jump on that. Um, sure. One thing that we didn't say is that each subsequent phase takes longer than the one before it, <laughs> which um, clotting's really quick. And then inflammation's um, just a little bit slower. It's just a few days instead of a few seconds. Um, but the tissue building is much longer. And then the scarring happens over a lifetime in terms of revision and stuff. So I think um, if we apply that relationally or corporately uh, externally to our physical body, we think, um, oh, I thought I was going to, I thought this was going to be better, but clearly it won't be because this much time has gone by and it's still, we're still seem to be in this sort of not quite there-ness. But I, that's one of the messages of the book too, is that real healing, it does take time and persistence, mm-hmm. perseverance, and, and an ability to be patient and, and to let healing have its way mm. is, is a patient process. Gosh, I just love, I love the truth that you're elevating for us. And this will, I believe, help people a lot. All right. So thanks for letting us, letting me a little bit geek out on, on the <laughs> actual physical healing. Cause I, I think that's fascinating. I've never heard anyone lay out those stages of wound healing in the body. And I can easily see the connections to why this matters for our relationships, our emotional wounds, our our, our participation in, in the body of Christ. Um, as you think back on sort of this last year and the moment we're all in as church leaders and knowing that that's who's really joining us today, um, what I just the question of what is one primary challenge for pastors and other leaders who are trying to foster community with so much wounding, so much of what's currently going on? How, how do you how do you hope to help pastors specifically? I can start, Bem. Do you want to follow? Does that sound good? Yes. So um, obviously this is something we've both thought a lot about and hope that it will be helpful. Mm. I can say what doesn't work, and that's to just keep arguing and to keep um, trying to make a point because um, – in the body for healing to happen. It's a forward momentum sort of thing, but, but it's also an honest sort of thing. There's a lot of integrity to the body's healing. So understanding um, perhaps that real healing of entrenched wounds, which I think we have a lot of right now, require us to name them, Mm. (laughs) name them (laughs) as these are our real wounds. We are politically divisive. We are an angry group of people right now in in the US anyway. And, um, And we want to, and we must move from this position. This is not a tenable place to stay or we will die. Our, our churches will die. Our society will die. This is not a place to stay. And it's not something that God uh, designed. He, he didn't design us to be an angry army um, of people. So in order to, to move to hope, which is what the whole Christian story is about, and wholeness, shalom, there has to be a willingness 
to go forward collectively in a movement together. And then how we do that in the body, we each have a role um, in the human, you know, at the extracellular matrix, everybody's got a role, a role to play. And there's such a cool dance of like these little tiny, uh, them can tell me, integrin, these little integrin things that hook up our cells. So if they're forming capillaries, they form as tubes, not as like square things. And they don't like get gnarled so that the blood can't go. And, you know, they actually, they don't make pretzels, they make long cylinders. And, um, and everything joins together in this dance and everything has its part. So I think pastors can help us see what is our part to play? Where are we called to be in that uh, healing matrix? How will we be able to see if we're forming proud flesh? What are the warning signs? We have warning signs in the book. We have applications for all of this in the book, but you know, we might have to stop and cut it away and keep going again. There, there are revisions that need to be made, but we need to be able to allow the scar tissue to form. And we need to be able to honor that and to let the wound close. And the wound can't close as long as even 1% is refusing to join sides. So it wow. is some of it. And that's where leaders are important. That's where pastoral leaders, it's not okay in this situation just to say, well, we can all agree to disagree. And that, that is not a healing statement. Um, that's a temporary statement. That's a clotting statement. Maybe. I was just going to say it serves a purpose at a certain developmental stage. Like we just got to stop the bleeding guys. We're, we can, we're all part of the same body. We're all right here. Yeah but it has to go beyond. And we have to get beyond our, def now I'm preaching, we have to get beyond our defensive posture because a defensive mm -hmm. posture isn't a healing posture permanently. So in inflammation, yeah, that's a defensive posture. But I heard, I've heard repeatedly on some podcasts that society's against us now as Christians, you know, like we're in this war with society and nobody likes us anymore. And that's a very defensive posture. So we need to get out of that and say, mm -hmm. who are we meant to be a salt and light in this world? How can we be winsome? You know, Jesus wasn't, everybody hates me. Um, he was like, I'm going to go talk to this person who thinks I might hate them, the Samaritan woman, but I don't. Mm -hmm. um, so how can we move more towards that posture of healing? As a good, I have a good segue to that because I'd like to propose suggest <laughs> some very specific ways to do that. So I actually think this is actually the third or the fourth like pastoral Christian leader webinar I've done. Not this in this scale. You have a very large scale group here, but I've talked to pastors in Hawaii, the Philippines, Canada, and the United States. And so from those conversations, I'd like to, you know, share some of my thoughts from, from those conversations. So I think one, if our premise is that you need community and the best healing comes from community, I think the greatest challenge to pastors today is how do you make people commit to community? And how do you let them stay in community when your community is wounded? So they won't walk away. So they will invest the, the time and the pain and, the, you know, and their resources and their gifts so that a community could heal. Um, and as Jenny said, I love what she said about the defensive posture because in science, what we have found at least you know, today is that some of the deadly life-threatening tissue injuries that we get is because of inflammation to aggressive defense system. We need it, but once it goes rogue, and in fact, COVID-19 is like that. It's like the immune system goes hysterical and it just stays there like cycles of just, you know, molecules that are just keeping the inflammation on. And so I've been thinking and praying a lot about it. And anger is not the only thing that inflames and keeps you stuck if you have an injury in church. So Colossians 3.8 actually says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, malice, slander, 
and obscene talk from your mouth. There's things that the Bible actually tells us that when something is going on, whether it's division and it's all in, in the letters of Paul, is that when you have these things in there in some situation, these things are going to feed into and keep you inflamed and keep you, keep destroying healthy tissue. Um, and then this one too, because Jenny and I have had to deal with this a lot in the pandemic. Uh, remember the verse in Ephesians 4, 26, 27, where it says, do, be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I think because we have been so stuck in chronic anger, we've given so many opportunities to the devil to uh, and just destroy community, to weaken relationships. What we forget is before that, actually, is it says, before that verse, do not let your anger, you know, for a long time, it says, therefore, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And this convicted me because during the pandemic, there was so much falsehoods, so much poor information in churches. And not just churches, corporations, schools couldn't make sound decision because there was just so much noise of conspiracies, this, this or this or that. And there was so much noise that people didn't know what the truth anymore. And you really need truth. It's painful. It's hard. And so I think that's why when I looked at your Glue website and looked at that you had partners that were cranking information for the church so the church can actually make good decisions because this is, you know, this is the good information. If we have good information, because sometimes we're angry at something that's not true, something that we thought was somebody's motivation or somebody's, you know, somebody did this or that. So I think truth is really important. And I think the power of this book is because the truth of wound healing is it's there, you know, this yeah. is the way the body heals. It's not something Jenny and I invented. You know? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, oh, these two women just dreamt up some things, imagine some things that all you leaders should thought. No, this is God's design. And we're just basically letting you see it more than when you see your, your wound heal. We're showing you what happens clinically, scientifically, and medically. And that's why I think this would cut across denominations, you know, is because this is God's teaching from yes. the body, in yeah. the body. And so I, I would hope that when we do that and you let kind of truth out there, maybe we are less inflamed <laughs> and we can get towards the part where there is healthy tissue starting to grow that we can promote. Yeah, yeah, regeneration. The thought that that, that yeah. new life, that new tissue yeah. could actually heal some of the yeah. divides and and terrible schisms that have come together. Yeah. That is a beautiful picture. I have to say, Bem, I wrote down this idea of inflammation being the sort of the manifestation of, of deep anger within us is that that has purpose, right? Anger is, it has purpose yeah. in our lives, but when it's sort of run amok, when it, we, mm -hmm. I think most people, common culture, we're aware of the fact that too much inflammation causes a lot of damage in our bodies, right? I, you know, COVID being one example, but like there's many examples that we're now more familiar with. And so diets and all that kind of stuff is trying to get your inflammation system to calm down because when you're constantly feeding your physical body stuff that makes it unhappy, then you're constantly at war. But that is possibly a good description of what's happened in many churches. And, and I, I know here over at Resilient Church Leadership, we did a weekly webinar all year from May of 2020 till May of 2021, every week talking to pastors and leaders about the topics that were unfolding and helping them care for their own souls in the midst of their yeah. leadership because so many of them were in completely unwinnable situations mm. where even their attempts to try to bring together a divided congregation would backfire and result in even more backlash. And I just have so much sympathy, empathy, um, heart for the, the position that a lot of pastors are in and have been in uh, this, this past year. But we have some, some new hope, some new wisdom on the horizon with this, with this great book. 
Um, when you think, I, and I also want to say, it, we talk about this healing matrix, we talk about community and how the, how wounds can heal in community. Uh, one, one pastor one time told me, I, I wrote about this in a book as well, said that the, the vision of community that gets preached is often one of the areas that we are most guilty of over-promising and under-delivering in yeah. the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it is an ache, I think, when we think about the, the body of Christ. Um, and uh, you know, I, I used to do some work in a department that was all around membership and what did it mean to be a member in the body? And that's a, a whole separate topic. But a, a colleague of mine said something so graphic one day, I've never forgot it. He said, you know, Mindy, if you can imagine that like your arm got severed from your, you know, lower arm from your upper arm and, uh, and it only came back to visit like for an hour every Sunday, <laughs> like you would not allow the healing that we see or the life force that we see in uh, Ephesians, right. That, that as every member is connected the whole body will will grow up into maturity as each part does its work, right? So that's in Ephesians four. But if like if we're so functionally disconnected from one another, which a lot of Christians, even though they sit next to each other in pews or in a particular church, they're functionally often very disconnected from what's real going on in their own lives or someone else's. And so it's hard to imagine that that life force, God's, God's life could flow through that point of connection and in, into one another's lives to bring that kind of maturity. And that is anchored around maturity, but you guys are bringing it to a whole nother level of even healing because we are all wounded. If we're adults, (laughs) we've been on the giving and receiving end of this. So the body of Christ is a bunch of sort of wounded people who are coming together in Jesus name, yeah. trying to, trying to make something of this. Yeah. What would you say to, to maybe um, pastors who are trying to cultivate more authentic community based on, on what you're seeing in the physical body? Does anything come to mind? That's like, Oh, the community needs to be marked by how would you answer that or finish that sentence? One thing that I've been thinking more about is um, because I think there's lots of different ways and there are local ways that, that people respond to, but is that whole idea of physicality, right? So um, we're not just minds all in pews together and like I have my mind and spirit, you have your mind and spirit, and it doesn't really matter what body you inhabit, but we all, we are physical beings. And I think one of the reasons why people come back so refreshed from mission trips or building a habitat house together or, you know, restoring a community garden is the physicality of doing something together in unity that that is physical. And I think more opportunities for that kind of gathering where we're not just heads that have to yep. understand scripture or understand a sermon um, but where we bring all of our created selves into that time together, um, where we're making something together um, physically that we can point to. I, and it's across generations. I think that's always a powerful that's way of working together. And you don't really care what somebody's political belief is if, if they're good at gardening and you're doing a new garden together, right? So but it's a way that you can get to know somebody safely. So um, that's, that's one of the things. That's that a great know. point. That's a great point. Cause I think I'd, I've never really heard many people develop their ministry plans or strategy around how are we getting people? Usually we try to get them into a classroom so we can teach them things. Right. It's, saying, it's too mind <laughs> that's not going to help. <laughs> how do you how do you get people collaborating? You, a lot of city movements, gospel city movements, are saying, "How do we? How does a group of churches come and own a particular elementary school, like you're just saying, and, and go in and like fix the gardens and paint the walls?" And all of a sudden, it's less about what's going on in your head, <laughs> right or wrong, truthful or not, but 
now you're an embodied human being and I contend with you as a fellow human and I might I might respond to you differently. I hope I will respond to you differently. You're not an enemy. You're you're holding a paintbrush and I've got the paint and we're going to figure this out. Wow, that that's a really interesting point for how leaders could be thinking about actual ministry plans based on the insights that you're bringing. I don't think healing happens because we have the best argument. I'll say that. No. Yeah. Yeah. That just means more inflammation came to the wound. I think to Jenny, because I, I learned this when you did, when we did um, the Templeton grant. And I think Jenny really, um, I thought it was brilliant. The structure is that, you know, it's, it's not a problem for us today to do activities, uh, whether it's charitable or some social thing in our churches. I think where we have a problem is how do you get to actually people get to talk to each other and reveal a part of themselves. Um, and during the pastoral retreat that Jenny hosted for three years, where it is where I first thought about and discussed, you know, how beautiful wound healing is, and there's more to this than just a physical process, is during that time, Jenny actually in the program we had during that retreat, she had time where we were just walking with each other, looking at the woods and talking. And times where you were just feasting or just being there, but it wasn't so structured. She didn't program the whole day or the whole weekend. I thought that was really brilliant because the first time I rested, I, you know, I, my life was so full that, and you know, there was just something about this invitation that Jenny did, why don't you come and tell pastors about your science? And I was there. I couldn't be on the phone, I couldn't be on email, but stop, look at and talk to the pastors. You're not just here to give a lecture and then go. And so I have friends now actually from the pastors that I met during Jenny's retreat. And I think give, cause you know, we don't like that. We want to program things because we want to keep moving or we have results that we want to see right away. But I think in that retreat, I think that's a good model that I found where there were activities, yeah, but there was really a lot of time for rest and reflection, being able to see one another and talk to each other. Um, and so, I, I mean, that's something that Jenny probably, you know, would, um, you know, would be able to address, you know, in the future in terms of how do you do something like that? There's an activity, there's a purpose, but you built in enough time and trust that the people would do it, that they'll be able to see each other connect. Because if you don't get that connection, it's just a group of people doing a bunch of things, a bunch of activities. Yeah, I can you see that. Oh, sorry. Community. You're just doing yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I can see one, one sort of sets the stage where hopefully yes. now those deeper connections, those more authentic conversations, yeah. that yeah. slower way of being could come around and, and allow healing to take place. Yeah. This has been such a lovely way to imagine how the things we see in the body could, um, should possibly really uh, influence our imagination for healing in, in deeper sort of less physical ways, but nonetheless wounds that hold many of us back. And I think that God is able and desiring to heal the, the thing that you're just describing, like I, uh, with soul care, Jenny, I want to come to one of your retreats. If you're doing another one, <laughs> <laughs> they were wonderful. They're still my favorite Jenny. We'll do it together. Um, you know, I just, I'm a big believer in beauty and the restoration of beauty and healing wounds is beautiful. And being able to really, uh, integrate your life with the life of others is a beautiful thing. And, yeah. So, yeah, I would agree with soul care, soulcare.com. That's oh. an area of my, my work. Yes. I'm, I'm I love it. and I also do things with soul care and soulcare.com. We're always looking for how to create space for, mm. for the healing, for the things that only God can do. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. The, the idea that sometimes we just program ad nauseum yeah. and we just, we just like think that, my, my big thing is that uh, the church often thinks that a transfer of information is going to somehow equal transformation. And those are not mm, the no. same things. A transfer of information does not equal transformation. And we are hungry for real transformation, for bones that work again, for nerve cells that work again, for skin and all the complexity 
of the body of Christ to, yeah. to function well. And I know myself and so many others uh, are joining you leaders. And it sounds like these new friends um, praying for the healing in the body of Christ. Uh, it is a, it is a, in some ways, a kind of a dire moment. And I, I really hope um, I, I wonder, you know, <laughs> what, proud flesh needs to get burned off or cut off, but there's a piece that is like, bring it, bring the correction, God, because we, we need the healing that's on the other side of a corrective measure like that. Um, Last little question. Um, What has just inspired your own sort of love and wonder at God as our creator through the work that you've done? Any, any things that you'd want to share with our group? I didn't know anything about the extracellular matrix, the healing matrix until them shared it with me as a physician. I didn't have to know that much about it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you just count on it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, and the, the cool thing is that we're finding out more and more and more and more and more about the tiniest things in the universe and the biggest things in the universe, right? Black holes and, so and them's kind of work that inspires uh, me in awe. But what has really, um, it's been fun to imagine all those little microcellular things, like they're people, you know, like they're in a Pixar movie, but um, really it's been the way God has knit my friendship with them together because Mm -hmm. we have become closer and closer, closer friends and more and more um, intuitive and understanding each other and laughing and all sorts of things. And we've had a lot of pain that we've both experienced in the last couple of years too, really deep sadnesses. And, and we've been there for each other in new ways. So that's been amazing. That's beautiful. How about you? I I, thinking about what you said about being hungry and because I use the same term with my husband, actually, that, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like we're starving for real community and that that the pandemic, in fact, made it worse because the structures of our community and our ability. And I love technology and I love that you use technology. It's only a tool, obviously. And like I said, Jenny and I haven't been in the same physical space. And yet the way that the Holy Spirit and God has really kind of knitted, um, you know, our lives together is something I would wish that people had, not just, you know, in friendships, but community. She has a community that was with her when this book was written. I had mine too. And our communities are intertwined by prayer, information, and all of these things. And that's what I really desire. Um, What's exciting for me is that this began when pretty much I was talking about wonder and awe of just the biological processes I saw. It's always been with that for me. That's why I'm a scientist. Since I was in high school, you know, they've always awed me. And when I became a Christian, you know, there was somebody to thank for. <laughs> and there were Christians to worship with and share with. But the when Jenny invited me to do this book, I had see I had been through a journey of wonder and awe and knowledge, medical and scientific in this sense, become knowledge and wisdom. I'm learning a lot of wisdom from what we have done together. And when I'm talking, when we're doing podcasts and somebody says something, he said, oh, we didn't think about that. But, you know, it's kind of, it's become this dynamic thing. Like, you know, it's an um, uh, like an organism, a very organic thing where that's why before I was afraid, I've never done a podcast in my life. And I said, Jenny, you do the podcast. I don't want to do a podcast. He said, no, let's just do this. And every podcast, like the folks who've been talking to us have widened our community Mm-hmm. And I've learned things from just, in fact, listening to you and you adding, contributing your own thoughts to what we have done. That is really exciting for me. It keeps growing, growing every time we meet people asking us about what we just did in this book. I love it. Well, I think, I think this is a frontier of, of discovery and of ministry leadership that I want to be learning more about. And I hope everyone who's been joining us will as well. I just want to let everybody know that the link to designed to heal the new book 
uh, is going to be in your chat. So you have it right there. You can go on and order it right away, which I'll be doing as soon as uh, I'm not doing this anymore. (laughs) And uh, I also wanted to let you guys know um, who've been joining us that there's four more webinars coming up uh, in the hub this week. So you can look at the schedule below this video player to understand what's coming up. And uh, there's also some exponential regional gatherings uh, this fall, uh, conferences. And so that might be a place for you to huddle up with somebody you've met maybe through the chat or in another way over this past year. Um, It's really important even for us as leaders to be connected to one another. And maybe we can be part of each other's matrix while we're trying to offer that to other people's growth and health. Um, But I just want to thank you all for giving us uh, some of your day today. And I want to thank you women. You are amazing. I I definitely, I'm hopping on a plane anytime I can to get wherever you're doing, whatever (laughs) you're doing. (laughs) This is a fascinating. And and, um, then there is one last thing I was going to add as we say goodbye. Um, One of my dad's uh, favorite verses in Proverbs, I think as a scientist, he he was a scientist his whole life. Um, And he said it was the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of Kings to seek it out. So I want to share that with you guys. Um, You are, you're living into that as the glory of God to conceal the healing matrix and the little tiny things that come together and do their thing. But it's the glory of Kings and Queens. (laughs) get out and um, I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your work I really think this is vital for the healing that we all hope uh, is we all know is available to us in Jesus but you've helped put some more specific imagination around what that Mm -hmm. could be so Godspeed in your work God bless you and um, thanks everyone for joining us thank you it's been a delight